would, I'd like to take your minds back to the first century with Paul in the city of Rome in prison and to the Macedonian province to the city of Philippi. Paul writes a letter to these brethren, not only to them, but also to the Ephesians, to the Colossians, and to a friend named Philemon. As Paul writes this letter to them, he is in this prison with the possibility of his life being taken. And he is thinking about the differences between life and death. I'd like to begin our study this morning with a question, what is your view of death? Certainly not a popular topic. When we think of death, quite frequently we tend to think about our parents, perhaps our grandparents. We may even think about those who are taken in very sad accidents. But I want you to not think about them for just a moment. I want you to think about yourself. To think about your own death. What will that mean? I want you to consider, do you fear it? Is it something that is in your mind that makes you want to tremble? The book of Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 talking about Jesus Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself shared likewise in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Talking about the fear of death. I would say that most of us, to at least some extent, fear death in front of us. Are you personally ready to face it? If there were someone who had told you that today would be your last day on earth, would you be ready to say, I am ready to go? In Acts 21 and verse 13, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem it's been instructed that Paul will be arrested if he gets there. He will be bound. Everybody is sad and there's a lot of tears flowing. And Luke records for us, Then Paul answered, What do you mean weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul says, I'm ready to die. The prospects that one has of living a life of faith can be of tremendous comfort as we face times like this. You know, when you and I think about this, if we are a person of faith, there is a hope, there is a confidence that's there. Paul would express it like this in chapter 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. There's a sense in which there's a peace that we have that the world does not enjoy. 
And yet as we face that, Christians need this shot of faith knowing that with God all things are possible. With God. Paul would say in chapter 4 verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This morning I'd like for us to study chapter 1 verses 19 through 30 of the book of Philippians. And I want us to look at three very basic ideas. The first one is the situation as we will observe in verses 19 and 20. Then in verses 21 through 26, Paul will talk about a selection, a choice, if you will. And then in verses 27 through 30, we will see this idea of a solution for those of us who are here today. Let's begin with verses 19 and 20. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always so now also Christ will be magnified by, in my body whether by life or by death. I want you to key on the fact, Paul says, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. When you see that word there, what is this that is happening? There are things that are going on. There's a situation here. This is not just something occurring in a vacuum. If I talk to you about your life, there are things going on in your life right now. It may be there's good things. It may be there's sad things. It may be that there are things that are spiritually good in your life or spiritually bad. But let me emphasize. Paul says, I know this will turn out for my deliverance. Why is he so confident? You know, when you and I start looking at our confidence, there needs to be a, a substance to it or a basis to it. And Paul will express his confidence on the basis of two things. The first is through your prayer. Now, a lot of times we don't give great emphasis to prayer. We do talk about having prayer meetings. When we assemble together here, we have prayers that we begin our services with. We'll have prayers for the communion. We'll have an opening prayer and a closing prayer. Those are not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of prayer when someone carries the name of a person before the Father and says, God, will you be with him? I'm talking about the kind of prayer when you have a member of this congregation who is going through a serious surgery or some serious illness, when we go and we take their name to the Father and we say, God, will you be with them? If possible, will you let their life be preserved? They prayed for Paul's deliverance. Don't you listen to Philemon as he also is written by Paul. He says, but meanwhile also prepare a guest room for me. For I trust through your prayers I shall be granted to you. You just think about that, the confidence. Paul not only is confident that his prayers are going to be answered, but he is so confident of them that he tells Philemon, prepare me the guest room. I'm coming. 
when the writer of the book of Hebrews wrote chapter 13, verses 18 and 19, he says, Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably, but especially urge you to do this that I may be restored to you the sooner. He says, I'm confident that the prayers are going to be answered, but pray that it will be sooner rather than later. I can imagine being in a prison. And I can imagine the restrictions that one might feel. And Paul is saying, I want you to pray for me. And he says here to the Philippians, I know that I will be delivered because of your prayers. The second thing, this sounds a little bit cryptic to us, but need not be. He says, through the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, many of you know I enjoy studying words, what they mean. The word supply here is on the screen. You can look at it. It's epikorgeo. The middle part of that word is the word from which we get our English word chorus. And what this word began by is describing a group of singers or a group of musicians who would play in an orchestra or sing. And then there were were people who were like some of us who couldn't sing very well or couldn't play very well. And so they wanted to support it and so they would provide the instruments or they would provide the salaries for those people. And so that word came to mean the one who supplies. Well, he says here that Jesus will supply the needs through his Spirit. Let me give you a couple of verses to emphasize this. Colossians chapter 2, verse 19. And he says, And some were not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by the joints and ligaments, and then this word grows with the increase from God. That word grows is the same word there. The supply that comes from God. Or Philippians 4, verse 19 And my God shall supply all your need according to the riches of his glory by Christ Jesus. God supplies everything. So Paul is saying here, I am confident I will be granted to you because you prayed for me. I am confident that I will be delivered because God will supply the needs that I have. And then he goes on to say, My earnest expectation and hope. Much of the time we use the word hope incorrectly with regards to the Bible usage. Someone might say, are you saved? Well, I hope so. By that we mean, I'm not really sure, but I'm, I'm really sort of thinking that's what I'd like to happen. The word hope, as it appears in the Bible, means that which is not wishful thinking, but confident expectation. Listen to Romans 8, verses 24 and 25. For we were saved in hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for what? why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, 
We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Notice that last phrase. We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We expect it to happen. It's there in front of us. We've not received it yet, but we have that confident expectation that it will be there. Now Paul goes on to say that Christ will be magnified in my body whether by life or by death. It's important that we realize that God gave us a body. A physical body. It is with this body that we do everything that God wants us to do. We sing the song, He has no hands but our hands. He has no feet but our feet. God expects this body that we have to be used to speak His message, to do His will. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Or Romans 14 and verse 8. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore if we live or die, we are the Lord's. We belong to Him. Our bodies are to be used in His service. For Paul, his life is in peril, but he's confident either way it goes. If I live, I'll live for the Lord. If I die, then I will enjoy the blessings that come from it. Which leads me to the second part of our lesson, and that is the selection. Look with me now as we go back to the text in verses 21 through 26. For me to live, or for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Paul says, What shall I choose? I cannot tell. I want you to imagine right now you're in Paul's shoes. And the question is coming up. You've got the choices, life or death. Which one am I going to choose? What do you suppose most of us would want to say? What will I choose? Hey, I'm going to choose life. I'm going to choose to live. What were the choices for me, or to me, to live as Christ, to die as gain? But the truth is, the selection was not up to Paul. If it were up to Paul, he said, I would have the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. If you give me the choice, that's what I'm going to do. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 8. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Notice now, we are confident. This is what we would desire. This is what we want to do. 
to be absent from the body. Folks, do you realize the selection that Paul would have made if he had the ability to do so? What selection would we make? But the truth is, God always chooses what is the best for His will. Sometimes Romans 8 verse 28 is misused, but here's the way it is correctly used. We know that all things work together for the good to those who are the called according to His purpose. God always works things such that His will is done. So Paul says to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. That's why he was confident he was going to stay. Because God's selection would be made. Paul goes on to say, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. When you think about the progress that the church there was going to make, you have to think about Paul would help mature them. They would learn a lot of things that they had not previously known. Their development would be to where their faith would be even stronger and stronger. They would joy together. Notice that joy of faith. Real joy. And Paul would enjoy with them these good times. Which this brings me to the third part of our lesson and one which... I think is so important. So I want you to read with me now verses 27 through 30. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel and are not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation. And that from God, for to you it has only been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Paul had his own situation and his own choices. But what about the Philippians? What was their situation? What choices did they have? Let me ask you. Let's, let's take it away from the Philippians. Let's bring it to 2012 in McMinnville, Tennessee. What is your situation? What are the choices you live with? We always need to apply Scripture. Always need to learn from it. Paul had two solutions to offer to them. And these are the same two that you and I ought to be thinking about. Number one is to make sure that our conduct is worthy of the gospel. And the second is that they would have courage in the face of persecution. To be able to go against the grain, to be able to stand against those that would try to go against us in our faith. Let's, let's look for just a moment. Conduct worthy of the gospel. If you're reading the original King James, you see the word conversation. 
We tend to think of conversation as a discussion between two people, but here he's talking about a person's manner of life. The things we say, the things that we do, the way we live our lives. Tomorrow morning, many of you will get up early, you'll go to work, and the things that you say to people, the honesty, the integrity of your character, the words that you use, all of those things will tell people what things are important to you. In Ephesians 4, verse 1, Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. I want you to realize you were called to be a Christian. Live like a Christian. Let your faith live out in such a way that people will be able to know who you are. Colossians 1 and verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Yes, your life should be a reflection of that. And then he focuses back on the congregation. And he says, standing fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He's talking here about the unity, the cohesiveness of that local church. It's important that we at Bobby Branch maintain a spiritual unity together. We can only do that when we follow God's word together. If we start following opinions, we start following personalities, we're going to get in trouble. But if we let God's Word be our guide, we can stand together on that. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, he says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Acts 4, verse 32, Luke says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. You had a congregation of people who loved each other, and they loved the truth. And if you want to see that our lives are worthy of the gospel of Christ, people need to see it in us. They need to see it in us individually, and they need to see it in us congregationally. The second thing, he says, you need courage in the face of persecution. And folks, here's, here's the honest truth. We don't face the same kind of persecution that Paul did, nor the Philippians did. It may be coming to us in the future. All indications are that our society is becoming much more secular, much more hostile toward people of faith. And if it does, so be it. We've got to remain courageous. And he tells them not to be terrified by your adversaries. That phrase there is worthy of your deeper study. I'm not going to go because of time too much into it. Let me just point out to you that a, a person who is terrified is a person who is willing to be a coward, who's unwilling to face the challenges like a general or like a king who would commit suicide rather than go in to face a difficult battle. 
If you'll remember Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 31, verses 4 and 5, we read there, Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not do it, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore took his, Saul took his sword and fell on it. And his armor-bearer saw it. Saul was dead. He also fell on his sword and died with him. You see, there are people who are terrified by the adversaries. They're saying, I can't do it. And here Paul is saying, be courageous. You can see it both in the life of Jesus and in the life of Paul. And you can see that standing for your faith sometimes can work out for the good for you as well. Every Christian should expect some sort of persecution. I will tell you that myself, I can remember persecution being much harder when I was a teenager. And I would dare say that most of you, if you look back and you became a Christian when you were a teenager, you realize that there are people in your school and your acquaintance that will speak bad of you, who will mock you, as you get a little older, you find out the, the persecution may become a little more sophisticated, but it still hurts nonetheless. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, some kind of one form or another. Every Christian should be prepared for death. Not just prepared to die for the Lord but to be prepared for death. So that if today is your day, if today is my day, then we're ready to meet the Lord in judgment. The question is, are you ready? If you're not ready this morning, we want to encourage you to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to believe that Jesus is the Christ, John 8, verse 24. You need to repent of your sins, Acts chapter 17 and verse 30 and 31. You need to confess your faith in Christ, Matthew 10, 32 and 33, and be baptized for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, verse 38 and Acts 22, verse 16. We will assist you this morning. If you are a Christian, you know that your life has got to be right with God. And if you need to make things right this morning, we will pray with you. Would you come as we stand and sing?